So how would you describe annual conference to someone who's never been not <laughs> using United Methodist terminology? Oh, man. Well, I've been coming for 41 years, uh, so... So you've got a good feel. Yeah, i got a good feel. It's changed. It's actually better than it used to be. Oh, that's good. So it's a spirit of anticipation, and why am I here? That's <laughs> probably a good way to describe it. Yeah. When, when I first got into ministry a decade ago, I had somebody, uh, I asked somebody, you know, because they seem to be pumped to be at annual conference, and they seem to be the rare person, because not always is everyone super excited to be here. But they said, annual conference is like the family reunion for all my clergy friends. I get to see people all year long that I don't get to see as much, um, or get to see all year. Yeah. I get to see people all the time at annual conference that I don't get to see all year long. I think people enjoy that. Really, that's what, what the idea of the conference was. It started with a conference coming together and seeing each other, and they wouldn't see each other for maybe years, or they might be a long way off, you know, live out and circuit riders. So when they come together, it was a big deal to see another preacher, another pastor, even another educated person. They like that. And, and it still has this powerful function, even though we still see each other on social media and other things along the way. There's nothing like grabbing lunch with somebody or sharing dinner or watching your friends get ordained and, and seeing people claim their call to ministry along the way. And people complain about it a lot because you have to come as part of it. If you're clergy, you got to go. But being disconnected usually doesn't serve a good purpose and bad things happen. So somewhere you got to figure a way to connect. And I, this is how we do as Methodists. We connect for three days of sitting down a lot. <laughs> so there's a... That's actually kind of funny because I'm part of a, like a steps challenge right now. And I'm like, what are we going for? Cresting 5,000 steps a day? Um, we'll see what happens. I think we'll have to work at it. Stand up a lot, sit down, that's stand right. up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Yeah. You know, that's one way to do it. So. But there's a piece that I think y'all forgot about that I think is important to highlight for people who have not been a part of it. Is that there is a lot of business that happens and I think that business is good stuff and my um, nerd self from college it loves watching people try and understand Robert's Rules of Order <laughs> the people who think they know Robert's Rules of Order and then typically it's the quiet ones that you watch sitting back that truly know what's happening but it's a fascinating way to take a giant group of people to put them in a room together and to actually say how can we continue to make things better for the whole of people. Yeah, 41 years ago, I think a lot of things have changed, but Robert Rules of Order has not changed. That's right. We still do it just exactly <laughs> like that. So I used to compete in Robert's Rules of Order in college. It was actually nationally ranked. So maybe one day I'll go for that parliamentarian chair. <laughs> and, and just remember, Cleburne, you think of Melissa as the cool pastor. You know, I'm just saying, parliamentary competition along the way. But it is a gift to have somebody who's skilled in that arena in this environment. We need to know how to have the conversation because otherwise we end up with with miscommunication and people not understanding some things that are really fundamental to what's happening. And there's some, you know, some accountability with the annual conference. You know, we don't really like accountability, but we need it. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, if you're going to do something for a long time and try to make a difference for the kingdom of God for a long time, you got some place where your church is accountable and we're accountable to each other, clergy are accountable to a bishop or cabinet. And yeah. Those are important part of the process, I guess. Even though I never had enjoyed getting ready to go, I'm always glad that I did it. Yeah. And it's always something you need to do. So family reunion meets accountability meets Robert's Rules of Order. And, and I think there's one more thing. Okay. 
inspiration. When we walked into annual conference today, all around the walls are posters yeah. filled with churches engaged in vital ministry, churches telling their yeah. story in a powerful way, ways they're reaching new people uh, in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, and so, yes, there's accountability, but there's also this inspiration. And really, uh, we can see vividly, I think, yeah. all the new things God's doing in our midst and in our broad Methodist community in Central Texas. And, you know, going back to the, the exact session this morning we began with, there's probably been at least 10 prayers, 10 times we stopped mm -hmm. and prayed either for a vote or for a meal or for the next session for each other. So praying is a big part of annual, annual conference. So we'll do, we'll do, you know, dozens of prayers before we're through. Amen. figured out we are at annual conference this is a part of our gather grow go podcast road trip so i want to officially say welcome to the gather grow go podcast i'm pastor daniel i'm pastor melissa and today we are joined by an incredibly special guest uh reverend mike ramsdale has joined us he is now the executive director for evangelism <laughs> Mission and Church Growth. Mike is holding out his name my tag. Name, I have so the longest name tag in the conference, right. I think, my, so. my full title might rival yours. Congratulations. Because he yeah, I wrote the title. Daniel so wrote it. So I'm the associate pastor of community and engagement. Okay, so okay. We're, both, we're both going for yeah, that. If that means something, then they were, we're, we have arrived. Right. <laughs> uh, we're pumped to have Mike here today because Mike... Uh, if, if the New Revised Daniel version of your title would say that you provide leadership to all of the mission and ministry in our conference where you're trying to equip churches to reach new people in the name of Jesus. I think that's the number one thing I think that we do, you know, that we want churches really to grow, to make disciples more effectively, to have new people to their church family, to be able to serve better because they've done that, and trying to equip people or teach people or encourage people or whatever we can to help, them, help churches do just that. And, yeah. so, and I enjoy that. That is awesome. And one of the things that I love from your tenure in this role is you've provided a whole new perspective uh, in the role uh, because you're not a long-term person in the conference office. You haven't lived in that space forever and ever. You're a large church pastor. Yeah, past 38 years as a pastor of a church and 21 years at Mansfield where it was a large church. And, and help me if I'm wrong. My memory is that when you got to Mansfield in the early 90s, they were worshiping around 400. In it's close to the size that Cleburne is now, really. Okay. about the size when we arrived there. Um, when we left, it's 2650 in worship attendance when I left. So I uh, grew. But again, 21 years of that. It wasn't something that happened overnight. So. But we are incredibly thankful uh, for that powerful witness um, that, that you have shown because so many times churches believe. Um, that what ha what is today will be tomorrow, and what was ten years ago will be ten years from now, um, and, and the ability to help us see God's preferred future, not just our current present reality, is a gift. And I, I absolutely agree. I think one of the first things to say that is God's preferred future. That God does want every church to reach new people and to grow in all the ways that that means. I mm -hmm. think that that's that's a Book of Acts story. It's just there, and and churches are supposed to do that and how do we do that may be the question fair enough and, and in our current reality um we're having to re-examine the how 
right? The what we've been called to do has not changed, but the how has changed. And, and one of the things I've loved seeing in the last couple of years in your leadership, in your position, is that you're reexamining the how. Right, I stand here as one of the failed church planters, empowered by um, the the. We don't talk about that. We don't. <laughs> but Melissa I, may talk about it. I don't know. But we don't talk about that. <laughs> but I do because I learned an incredible amount in sure. that season, um, and, and I would venture to say that as a pastor, very little has been as formative as wrestling with where is God in the midst of this moment, and where is my leadership in the midst of this moment than that process itself. Um, but one of the things we've seen from your office over the last couple of years has been a shift away from, you know, spending a quarter of a million or more per church plant at a time to a shifting to say, how can we empower all of our local churches to be engaged in creating new faith communities? You know, the first thing that, that I did, and I guess I, the cab and the bishop also saw was the strength of our church really is our congregations we have existing yeah. congregations. Yeah. Those communities where churches have been planted a long time, uh, the buildings, resources, uh, church communities, families, leadership, they're all there. Uh, how do we take what we have and multiply that was the first thing we thought we needed to do. Yeah. Uh, and as you pointed out, it's, it's not terribly expensive to do because they're, they're there, they want to, they, they're glad the pastors want to. Uh, a little bit of resources will point in the right direction, a little bit of money, and sure enough, it begins to happen. We found a remarkable way. And, my, and you talked about the, the failure of a, a new church start that you were part of. The church I served, we, we started at least, and I'm trying to think back to how many we did, at least 10 new faith communities, at least 10, maybe more than that. Uh, I thought merely five had failed. Mm. You know, and so we just didn't stop because it's fail, it's quit. We, we had one major failure, much like yours. We had yeah, a, a, second a second campus. It uh, lasted three years and just went down the tube for lots of reasons. I feel like that's something that I've seen a lot in uh, the history of ministry, even my short time in ministry, is the actual the gift and blessing that can come in yeah. failure. And you've lifted, both of you have already lifted that up. And I feel like I even experienced that at the Baylor Wesley when we would try new things and things would fail. So I wonder, what is the number one lesson that you have learned from failing that churches can also learn that are looking? Well, we didn't do exactly what we did before. Yeah. What didn't work, we didn't do that like that again. We made a commitment to start five new faith communities, mostly on the main, main campus because mm -hmm. they were less expensive to do. Yeah. And that was the reason it really failed. The cost just yeah. killed us. And so uh, we went into... Uh, Using our facilities, we, we rebuilt some facilities, we added uh, some sound systems and audiovisual stuff, we did some work in four spaces that we had, and then we began creating new faith communities in those spaces. Uh, and that was much less expensive and more helpful and productive, and that really worked. It really worked. It took a, it, it completely changed the church. Yeah. Uh, and the fact we did it on a regular basis, we kept doing it. We didn't just do one thing and we're done. We kept adding year by year. It kept the church moving around the idea of we're going to reach new people. Mm. We didn't use that term That's then, but, yeah. we, but we knew it's what we were trying to do. And so we designed these services around people we didn't have yet, not the ones we had. Yeah. So who do we not have? Well, let's create a service like this. We tried a Spanish service, didn't work. It lasted about a year, but we thought we don't have these folks. Let's change. Right. So, yeah. so we tried that, you know. Uh, we went for uh, we went for really young families, and that did work. Uh -huh. We assembled really well. That was very effective. 
Uh, we went through a recovery service, really worked. Metanathan Community still exists now, but they're about eight years, it really worked. And, and it kept things moving. It kept changing how the church understood itself, and, and people, we celebrated <coughs> those stories, and people loved that stuff, and, and it just kept the church moving forward. And by the way, Clipper's a great church, by the way. It's a great church. I got to know your church some. I was in the North District for a year. I was there with your uh, your leadership, your past parish relations committee, and some moves that happened uh-huh. right a few years ago. I was in the middle of that, right? And so you had some great leadership. You had a great room full of people there. I was very impressed with the leadership that you have. Very spiritual group there. We're very lucky. We are. One of the things that you know, it, one of the things that happens in annual conferences, you have conversations with with your pastor friends and and. Now that we're a year into mm-hmm. being in Cleburne together, one of the questions that comes up is, how's Cleburne? How are things? And and I've deeply enjoyed being able to offer the witness to say, in Cleburne, Texas, we have deeply committed disciples of Jesus Christ. We have people who are spiritually connected, and we're not playing church, right? People are passionate about, um, about the gospel. That's what I saw. That's what I saw with people I met with. When I went to worship, I felt that there in the congregation. I know people there anyway from years gone by. And, yeah. And familiar with that story as well. And folks know for a long time. And then your leadership. I can see it there really with them. They love their church. They love God. They want to do good things. I think they'll, I think your church is going to move. Mm. Going to move. It's waiting for somebody to kind of help them do it in a, as a team. It's going to happen. Very good. What is a piece of advice that you would give? to a church that you feel like is on the cusp, like Cleburne, of, of really moving and being willing to step faithfully into that kind of change that comes that naturally happens with growth. Well, the principle for any church has been in existence for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. And y'all have done some of this already, but... 150 years. If it's been there a while, you really have to have new things reaching new people. Mm-hmm. And, and we say that often, but that's really true. Uh, if, you, if you don't mobilize something brand new that new people can connect to and be a part of, you're not going to reach new people. And new disciples make new disciples. Because all the people that are there already know each other, they know all their friends, they're all connected, they all know church people. Uh, they don't know people that are not disciples already. So you have to begin that, that push. How are we making new disciples here? What new is bringing them in? And then how do we let them, allow them, give them room uh, to do what they need to do to reach their family, friends, community. And that's where mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. miracle of growth happens that the book of Acts talks about. Yes. Okay. And long-term churches have a hard time doing that. They want to. Uh, but they really have to think like that to make it work. So this year we have two church initiatives that we have kind of focused around. So Daniel's part of our Go Deep team of helping people, you know, when they come and are captured, how are we taking them deeper into discipleship? And I'm leading up our Go Out team. And what you just said there, I think, captured um, kind of a moment that happened at one of our meetings. And one of the rules for my team is is that we can't meet on site because we're the Go Out team. So we have to be out and about in the community. Um, But it was this moment where we had a faithful member of the church kind of lift up like, are we just reaching people that are already part of churches because his friend group is already connected either at our church or in other churches? And this is actually someone who brought in a new family to our church that wasn't connected yeah. um, this year, in fact, this past year. But then it gave this moment for another leader on this um, team to speak out and say, well, I think about my parents 
because I didn't grow up in church and my parents are here local. And if we reach my parents, they are connected to all of their friend group who, guess what, also is a connection. That's right. And really, if they know, they're going to want to connect with the church if they yeah. have that way to get into that community and that faith and that story that's amazing. Um, that's really what we have to do and think about is who are those people? Uh, one of the re research uh, facts we found out is that most communities of any sort, 80% uh, of the people do not attend church on a regular basis. 80%. Yeah. Uh, some rural areas are more suburb or county seat towns thought that was not true, but we find that it's still true. Yeah. It's still true. The majority of people that you see in the Cleburne area do not go to a church. Mm -hmm. If they do, it's once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of people right. you know, to reach. Well, I believe if, if, if every if everyone in Johnson County went to church on any given Sunday, even with all the churches that exist in Johnson County, there wouldn't be room. We'd be full beyond capacity because of that fact, right? And, and, um, and as Methodists, we do offer a unique uh, place of grace and, mm -hmm. and mercy and love that I think is central to us. Uh, we offer the sense of mission, uh, uh, serving the least, the last, the lost, the hurting in a unique yeah. way. Uh, and people want to connect with that kind of change in the community, making a difference. We just need more people to do it. Right. Uh, we don't always have enough to do it, and we need more, uh, mm. a critical mass of uh, giving. And when you start having a little bit of growth with people, a little bit more giving, a little bit more new people who are there, uh, a new service maybe, a new faith community that's reaching people we're not ever reaching. And before you know it, God works in that, and that's where you see the miracle beginning to happen mm. in the church community. So we're, I would say, at the cusp of, of really entering that season of beginning a new faith community. Um, what piece of advice would you give the church and the ones that are going to form around the leadership as we take that? You know, we've heard you kind of lift up, create space for new people. Yes, uh -huh. um, But is there another piece of advice and just the kind of administrative pieces that have to, the preparation and care that have to go into this that's work? A big, that's a big question, you know, I... I think the, if I see a, a failure on churches in this, it's they don't do enough work. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that there might have been a period of time where it didn't take as much work to do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, because the culture is so changed. For, for My generation has seen that. You live in that, so it's not new to you. But uh, it, it takes a lot of work, a lot of lead time, a, a lot of gathering leadership, a lot of sense of who you're trying to reach, bringing those people you're trying to reach into the planning session. Okay. You know, if you're taking these folks who are trying to reach somebody they don't even, they don't connect with or they're not like, like you want to reach college kids, you better get college kids involved with college kids, right? Yes. Right, you know, young families, you, know, you want to get unchurched, get some unchurched people in that leadership team. Yeah. Uh, who is unchurched or is new, brand new here, has not been a church person? Uh, who in our community might be interested in helping us do this? There are people out there you can track them down. And you put them in the room, you'll have a remarkably different outcome uh, than just trying to, well, we're going to get the right kind of music here and get the right, yeah. you know, guitar playing, or, or we're going to do this, we're going to have these sermon series and think that's going to work because it won't work. It will not work. It'll be disappointing. Right. <laughs> you know, you've got to have the people in the room. Mm -hmm. If they're in the room, of course, I know you still in college ministry. Right. If they're in the room with you in the process, which takes a long time, six months, a year of planning or praying, being patient, uh, laying, laying the budget that you need, getting the spaces what they need to be, uh, then you're almost 99%, I think, sure of a success mm -hmm. if you do that. 
and so that's and the, that's one thing I learned in failing so many times. I thought, well, I get these. They'll, they'll play music, and I'm going to be preaching. They're all going to come, you know. And I wait. That's not true at all. One day they could hear me preach Sunday morning. They didn't need to come to hear me at some other time. And I realized that didn't work at all. It took a ton of work and preparation time mm. uh, to make. And then and when we did that, almost every time it did work. What I heard that jumped out, I mean, so much good stuff there. And I'm so yeah. glad we got a recording so we can deep dive in it later. That's right. Um, but the thing that was just popping as you were talking was the relationality of that work. A lot of times when we think of starting something new, we will take the, the small business approach where we got to have a good idea, a good product, and then promote it well. Church promotion, Facebook ads are fine. They're semi-helpful, you know. But it is people don't come to church because you send out a mail. They don't work. I know a um, church that's your size to try that, just that. They marketed well. Uh, they put the people together who could lead the worship and preach it. They had everything you would think in that 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 way of doing it, and, and no one showed up. Mm. Mm. Yeah. They were they were so depressed, you know, right. uh, because they didn't know who was going to show up. When you start a new faith community, you know who's going to be there. The very first time, you know, these 42 people are going to be there this first time. And here's who, who the makeup of these people, and here's how we're going to make it work, and you're going to succeed. Mm -hmm. And you think, if you're just guessing, I hope somebody, I hope somebody <laughs> right. comes, we're right. going to hope and be depressed and, and blame each other. It's getting so much harder to take that approach, because it takes seven to eight points of contact with someone, like a Facebook ad or seeing a friend share it on Facebook. And you want to do not, that. You don't want to do. not do yeah, that. Yeah, you have to do that. But it's seven to eight times before they'll even consider whatever's being offered or asked. And so by the time they consider it, yeah. you've already closed a service because nobody came. Yeah. Right. Or people are depressed or, mm -hmm. the, or the pastor goes home and he, and he or she cries himself to sleep. Right. <laughs> I, I tried so hard. Now, I know because I've been there when that happened. Yeah. Looked up, where is everybody? I, I, this is a great idea. And, the, and I've got a great sermon. And this be, but that's not, that's not how it works. I, a church camp or a church planting church camp. boot that camp. Like yeah. Fun. yeah. It is. It, it, it was fun. <laughs> um, I heard uh, one of the speakers one time say that they're describing the method of church planting that we're advocating against at this point. But, yeah, it no longer um, works. Yeah. But described it as saying it is as though you are throwing a birthday party um, for yourself and Jesus every Sunday morning and praying that people show up. Pretty right? much. And, and so you go through all the emotional spikes, ups and downs, yeah. that you might expect with that. Um, if you haven't done the relational legwork, you got to do all the logistical stuff. I mean, they're... Yeah, you have to do you that. You have to. You can't, you know, um, like, they can't come and say, boy, this was really sorry. Right. You know, it's got to be something that means something to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, as we get ready to wrap up here, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, I know the, the conference is seeking to help churches launch 100 new faith communities in the and next... We have 40, uh, the four annual conference we, at our 40th. Fantastic. Uh, we get those, are, we do grants for, uh, we probably, we have at least 10 that I know of that began this without grants. So we're thinking about wow. 50 have, have begun so far. Very good. And that's a deal where local churches, if they apply for the grant, can receive up to $10,000 to help offset the logistical cost of it. And we have churches that have started two faith communities and got two grants. Okay. Very good. We don't okay. have a limit on that if the first one works. <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Um, 
do you have a story or two stories from those 40 faith communities that, that you think just captures the heart of what we're trying to do as a conference and as churches in terms of reaching new people? You know, well, well I'll, give, I'll give more of this answer. We're discovering there's such a huge variety of these efforts. And there's not one consistent uh, model that's working in any kind of church. Okay. It's not like that a, that a county seat church does this and they all do this. That's not true at all. Some are doing a, the dinner church model, which they go to a separate venue, mm-hmm. or they may have it in, a, in their facility they have, uh, and they'll have worship, and they'll have dinner there, and the family comes, and they have a place for kids, you know. It's been slow, um, but successful from the beginning. Okay. Because it's changed that church from what it looked like to what it is today. Mm-hmm. And so it made a remarkable difference. And another church that has a restaurant, uh, that they have members of the church who uh, connect with that, and so they open it up for them. And they, uh, they have a, a dinner church there, have worship, and make disciples, and they have all new people there. All new people in that setting. There's no, it's not the church members that came. Okay. Uh, one who they expected to come either. Uh, but the community is very much supporting that. It's been a, been a pretty uh, dynamic change. We have church in a bingo hall. Nice, uh, <laughs> nice. Because the because the member of the church owned the bingo hall, and she said, "I've got hundreds of people here, and they live this bingo game, and so they have church there, and people that you would never ever reach uh, are there in that in that setting, in that in that in that place." And then we have churches that are more classic churches. They're, they're growing churches. They're reaching new people already. And they need a new place for people to connect. It might be a different style of, of preaching or a different style of worship music or a place where kids can really connect uh, or the community kids can be part of. And those are really working, too. Uh, we find those are remarkable, some of those, mm. uh, where they try to reach kids. And before they know it, they get all these parents coming, mm. families yeah. coming, you know. And we have a couple places that's happening. Uh, but what's fascinating to me is how the model that I originally gave that gives them direction and guidance yeah. has just pressured all kinds of pieces <laughs> into what people are doing. And, and, and I'm so excited about that. And we're also pretty happy that uh, I figured about 50, 50% failure on this. Okay. At this point, I'd say it's more yeah. like about only 10%. Wow. They have not made it work. Uh, so I'm pleased to see that's the case. We do much better than I thought we would. That's incredible. So, that is awesome. Mike, thank you so much oh, sure. for your time today. We are incredibly thankful that you are here. Uh, one of the things we remember that in this season is that the church goes with us no matter where we go. We are here at annual conference. We'll be at mission trip next that's week. Right. And, so we and then to Mars. And then to Mars. Church. Uh, if you're still not familiar with this voice, that's totally fine. This is Kiefer. Uh, and I'm just here this week to remind you that during this season we are in, the church goes with you too. Uh, this past Sunday, we handed out those placards uh, and uh, we would just love to hear about you taking those places, um, conversations that start up with people, uh, inviting people to church. We'd just love to hear about those things and we'd love to see those things on social media as well. So if you go 
anywhere and feel the need to take a picture, please post that on social media with these placards. Um, use the hashtag, the church goes with you. And you can also email me those pictures. My email is actually on the back of those placards, um, but it is kiefer at fumcclebourne.com. Uh, and we would just love to hear again about uh, the places you go, the people you talk to just about our church and what we're doing. And so uh, y'all have a fantastic week. See you Sunday. Thank you for joining us today on the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. And I'm uh, the Executive Director, Mike Ramsdale, of the Mar E. Smith Center for Evangelism, Mission, and Church Growth <laughs> of the Central Texas Conference of the United Methodist Church. You win. Mike you Ramsdale. win. Though. You Correct. win. We thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure that you like us, review us, rate us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, all of the places where you receive this podcast. Also, consider how you can share this with a friend how that someone in your life might be touched by the ministry of Jesus Christ that even happens in our digital spaces today. And now go, receive this benediction. As you go and live this week, may you be blessed by the God that can encounter you even in the midst of the digital waveforms. May you encounter Christ embodying the relationships of people that you love and being asked, begging to be invited in to this thing we call church. And may you go knowing that the church and the Holy Spirit go with you every step of the way. May you go in peace this week. Amen. Amen. Amen.